0: Uh, I'm gonna say no one's better than me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah.
1: Let's go. Blow yeah.
0: Welcome to Locked on Dolphins Thursday, May 14th. Brought to you by Bill Bar. I'm your host, Kyle Krabs, lifelong Dolphins fan, managing editor of USA Today's DolphinsWire.com, senior NFL draft analyst at the DraftNetwork.com, And we are going to have a fun little show today because we're going to talk about some former Dolphins. We're going to talk about some current Dolphins. We're going to talk about the dynamics uh, that are involved in what made the former Dolphin a former Dolphin, what is uh, the next step for the current Dolphin under the microscope. And we're going to talk about the Las Vegas Raiders. Continuing our crossover series, we're going to be meeting with Q from Locked On Raiders at the end of the show to talk about the dynamics of how the Raiders are building their team, how the Dolphins are building their team. Two teams that are moving in the same direction, upwards, and are doing so thanks to drastic roster overhauls and prioritizing some pretty similar criteria in football players to get there. But before we do any of that, a little love for one of the greats. Former Miami Dolphins defensive end Cameron Wake was ranked 41st on the Pro Football Focus all decade list of the best 101 football players of the 2010s. 41st. Very strong representation for Cameron Wake. Uh, who in 2014 and 2015 led pro football focus in pass rush grade. Uh, He never led the league in sacks, but he did lead the league in tackles for loss in 2010 with 21 tackles for loss. Over the course of 11 years of pro football, logged 100 and a half sacks, almost all of those, 98 coming with the Miami Dolphins, and another 39 sacks in two seasons of the CFL. Cameron Wake, 139 and a half career sacks between 13 seasons at the CFL and the NFL level. If you think about some of the greats to come through the CFL pipeline, Warren Moon is the name who's most prominent. He is the most prominent player who went on to be a Pro Football Hall of Famer. His raw passing stats, as far as what he was able to do in the NFL, he passed for just short of 50,000 yards in his career, but he didn't start playing in the NFL until he was 28 years old. He went on by the early 90s to be made to, named to 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8 consecutive Pro Bowls, led the league in touchdowns, passed for 4,600 yards in consecutive seasons in, 80, or in 1990 and 1991. Some really groundbreaking stuff from Warren Moon. As I said, nine-time Pro Bowler, never was named to an All-Pro team, was the AP Offensive Rookie Offensive Player of the Year in 1990. Hall of Famer, nine-time Pro Bowler. Cameron Wake, five Pro Bowls, one All-Pro appearance throughout the course of his career. But a dominant pass rusher throughout the entire course Of his football career with the Miami Dolphins. You have to wonder what the sack numbers would look like. If Cameron Wake had started his pro football career. On time without having to go. To the CFL for several seasons. And that included like he even had two years out of football. Which is pretty incredible when you stop and think about it. So this is a Cam Wake appreciation segment. Cameron Wake is tied for 31st on the all-time sack list. 100 and a half sacks. And he's, he's played 11 seasons. So an average of almost 10 sacks a season. If you would assume Cam Wake takes that same pace, let's call it nine sacks a year. No, and we'll even sell him a little bit short versus what he did. And mind you, he only had five and a half sacks his first year in the NFL. 27 years old. Let's say he would have started in 05, 23-year-old senior. 05, 06, 07, 08. Four more seasons with nine sacks apiece. 36. He's at 36. 136 and a half sacks. You know where that puts him on the all-time list? 12th. 12th! If ifs and buts are candy, you know what? Nuts, we'd all have a Merry Christmas. Like, I get it. Like, that's not how it actually played out for him. And in, in real life, he's 31st. And that's fine. He's a triple-digit sack guy. There's only 34 of those guys in the history of the league. And of the guys, you know, that, that list will grow. Make no mistake. Guys behind him that are still active, Chandler Jones has 96, JJ Watt has 96. Both of those guys are gonna get it. Ryan Kerrigan's got 90. He's probably gonna get it. Clay Matthews has 91 and a half. Don't think he will. Justin Houston's got 89 and a half. Don't think he will. Calais Campbell's got 88. If he plays three more seasons, he's got it. If he plays, shoot, he plays two more seasons, he's probably got it. He's in Baltimore now of all places. Cameron Jordan's got 87. He's probably gonna get it. Carlos Dunlap, 81 and a half. Doubt it. Robert Quinn, 80 and a half, Maybe. Jason Pierre-Paul, 79 and a half, Maybe. Aaron Donald, 72. Yeah. You know, put him in. He's been playing five years. He's got, or six years, he's got 72 sacks. It's insane. But of the guys who have retired, there's a pretty clear divide. As far as what the cutoff is. If you have 125 sacks or more, you're in the hall of fame. 120 or 125.5. Dwight Freeney. He's not eligible yet. Derek Thomas in the Hall of Fame. Ricky Jackson in the Hall of Fame. Lawrence Taylor in the Hall of Fame. Leslie O'Neill, Jonathan, or John Abram, and Jared Allen. Those guys aren't in yet. But then you got John Randall, yes. Richard Dent, yes. DeMarcus Ware, Not yet. Terrell Suggs, not eligible. Jason Taylor, in. Strahan, in. Dolman, in. Peppers, not eligible. Green, in. White, in. Bruce Smith, in. Below 125, you got Robert Mathis, Simeon Rice, Clyde Simmons. Those guys all have more than 120 career sacks. Sean Jones, Greg Townsend, Pat Swilling, Trace Armstrong. None of these guys are in. Von Miller's still active. He will get in. Elvis Dumervil is not eligible yet. Kevin Carter not in 104 sacks. Charles Haley has the same amount of sacks as Cam Wake does and he got in. So maybe if you if the voters take into consideration how good Cameron Wake was with how late he started and factor in kind of the Warren Moon factor how how much of his physical prime he missed playing NFL football. Although, granted, he came in with the Giants as an undrafted free agent, and he didn't get a chance to stick because he wasn't developed. So, is Cam Wake a Hall of Famer? I don't know. If he is, he's going to have to wait a while to get there, in my opinion. Take the Zach Thomas dismay that we have. Zach Thomas, I think, is a stronger case for the Hall of Fame than what Cameron Wake does, because Cameron Wake only played 11 years. He's looking for a 12th year. Doesn't have any offers that he wants to take just yet. He's most definitely a ring of honor guy for the Dolphins. I would kill to see him come back and get two sacks in Miami to finish his career with 100 sacks with the Dolphins. I would love to see it. But I wanted to take a little bit of time today and express appreciation for Cameron Wake in light of him being ranked 41st on the all-decade list for Pro Football Focus. Well-deserved. Wish Cam nothing but the best. It was an unfortunate reality to rebuild. It was time to move on because the Dolphins had to take those reps that Cam Wake was going to take and give them to young guys like Charles Harris and Taco Charlton and figure out if these dudes can play football. Which brings us to an amazing segment to the next topic of conversation I want to have today which is regarding Taco Charlton. Taco Charlton signed with the Chiefs, was cut by the Dolphins this offseason, after being a week three waiver wire pickup, played in Dallas that week, got a sack against Dak Prescott that week. It was kind of cool. Then you get to the end of the season, and I think he was a healthy scratch for three of the final five games. And once he got cut, Armando Soguero came out from the Miami Herald and said club sources complained Taco Charlton's attitude was not that that the Dolphins would have hoped. And that contributed to the healthy scratches. That contributed to him getting cut. Albert Breer of Sports Illustrated. Upon the news of the Dolphins cutting Charlton back in late April. The call came down to Taco Charlton versus T.J. Watt for the Cowboys in the first round of 2017. Some Watt supporters in the room dubbed Charlton Soft Taco. Keep those things in mind. As I read to you what Charlton said about why his tenure in Miami and Dallas uh, didn't end well, former first-round pick taco Charlton said his departure from the Cowboys and Dolphins in both spots was, quote, mutual, and that's why it wasn't a surprise when each happened. He feels he has kind of been used out of position in the past, and Kansas City scheme thinks he'll be more comfortable. Brother, if you were ever going to get an opportunity to shine or to at least look competent. It was on the Dolphins team that's defensive end room was so freaking bad that they've added literally five defensive ends to the room this offseason. Say what you will about usage. Dallas Cowboys have routinely been... Dallas Cowboys drafted Charlton because his skill set was a better fit for their archetype than T.J. Watt was. In hindsight, bad decision. Seems to me as though there's a little bit of a... When a player leaves two different spots and says both times, it's not me, it's you, with the reputation of soft taco with the complaints about Charlton's attitude with the Dolphins, of all defensive end rooms that you could possibly land in, the worst one in the league as a former first-round pick, and you say, yeah, well, you know, they didn't really use me well. Why? Because they asked you to put your hands on blockers? Dallas hand-selected you because your traits fit their role and vision. Miami claimed you, Because they needed defensive end help. You're a former first-round talent, and you have certain tools that are going to play a certain brand of football. I'm starting to get the impression Taco Charlton just didn't want to play that brand of football. Taco Charlton wants to be a speed rusher off the edge. Brother, you're 4'9 in the 40. You don't have great flexibility off the edge to turn corners at high rates of speed. So if your skill set, in your mind is I need to be a finesse football player, which was one of the complaints about Charlton, and, and hence, again, you know, soft taco on the field. If in your mind you play a certain way, and both teams that take you ask you to play differently because it's what physically you're best suited to do, and you don't buy in, and then you're not surprised when you get cut from both places, and you say, yeah, it wasn't me, it was them. okay. Okay, I get a little peeved at this one. You know, best best wishes to Taco playing in Kansas City. Maybe playing for a Super Bowl winner is what he needs to to light a fire under his rear end. Um, but if it was going to happen for Charlton, you would have assumed it would have happened in Miami with a multiple front defensive system, with a development based coaching staff, and Brian Flores. But this team cut him and traded Charles Harris, which in itself was a minor miracle they got anything for him. And they signed Shaq Lawson and Manuel Agba. And then they added Raquan Davis, who's an uh, uh, odd front end, interior defensive lineman hybrid. And Jason Strobridge, who is the same thing, and Curtis Weaver in the draft. That's how bad the Dolphins perceived their defensive end room. And if you can't buy into that, Happy trails. Best wishes to you. I also have some best wishes to each and every one of you listening to this show, which is why I want to talk to you about Built Bar. Built Bar, proud sponsor of the Locked On Network and Locked On Dolphins. Uh, The best protein bars these lips have ever touched. From my mouth to your ears, I swear to goodness. They are amazing. They eat like candy bars. The nutritional facts are fantastic as far as if you want to be health conscious You know Whether you're active and you're looking for something post-workout, whether you're looking to watch your calories uh, amid the uh, social distancing and the self-quarantine climate right now and you want something light to snack on around the house, Bilt Bar's a perfect choice. It's got one-seventh the carbs and sugars of typical protein bars. It's got more protein than a typical protein bar. And you're talking between 110 and 150 calories a pop. BuiltBar.com, we get a very special offer for you guys listening at home. If you go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON, you can get $10 off your first box of BuiltBar. That's BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCKEDON, to save $10 off your first box. Find out what all the fuss is about today. If you want to see the other side of this coin, what this looks like when a player does buy in, it's pretty incredible... The dynamic. You have a former first-round pick with a ton of tools and length and hand power when he wants to use it in Taco Charlton, but he felt like he was being miscast. He felt like he knew better than the coaching staff. Didn't want to be here as a result. Gets sat for games because he's got a bad attitude, and then he gets cut. And then you have a guy in Nick Needham. Cornerback Nick Needham ran four six seven at his pro day last year. Four six seven is 7 a corner, 194-pound uh, corner from UTSA. Small school corner, ran four almost 4-7 four, in the 40, gets onto this Dolphins roster as a UDFA. And by the end of the year, I'll be damned if this dude was not the best corner actively that we had on the roster. Why is that? It's because he bought into the program. He brought into what this coaching staff was selling, and that's all they're asking their players to do. Nick Needham in training camp, didn't look like he belonged on an NFL field. He looked lost. He made some plays through the preseason and built some confidence in himself. And then by the time Zavian Howard goes down, Needham steps into a very prominent role in the secondary and plays well. Because he's coachable and he's listening to what this coaching staff is saying. And you get to the end of the year and it's like, well, shoot, like the Dolphins really stole some good value out of this Nick Needham kid. Maybe they don't need corners. You know, He looked positioned opposite Zavian Howard to be a starting corner at the beginning of the offseason, depending on what the Dolphins chose to do. Well, then they signed Byron Jones to a record-setting contract. I said, okay, well, Nick can play inside, or Nick can compete with Bobby McCain if they're going to move Bobby McCain back to nickel. They didn't move Bobby back to nickel, and so he said, okay, that's that's good news for Nick. And then they draft Noah igba in the first round of the NFL draft. Like, what's next for Nick Needham? And this, for me, it goes back to... One of my general thoughts and principles about team building. Don't let the promise of a good prospect prevent you from bringing on a great prospect or a great player. The Dolphins elected not to do that when they signed Byron Jones to a record-setting deal. You have an athletically limited but very engaged, bought-in, promising young player who eats up everything his coaches tell him like a sponge. But then you have one of the best, physically talented, most explosive athletes at the position, active in the league, who's in the prime of his career, available to sign. You sign him. Can't complain about that, especially with how many defensive backs the Dolphins are going to implement. And then, in the draft, the Dolphins apparently had Noah Igbahogany as their top available player with the 30th overall pick in the NFL draft. If that's the case, and you're going to use a ton, draft him. Because we've already gone through the trends with what the Dolphins have gravitated towards based on what their projected starting nickel group is going to look like. They want the athletes. Doesn't mean you can't necessarily win in certain roles, and certain usages, and certain matchups with a guy like Nick Needham, who's not a super dynamic athlete. But if that's the Dolphins' preference, and that is what their threshold is for investment at the position, don't let a UDFA who's athletically limited prevent you from bringing on a guy who's your top-ranked position of all position or top-ranked player, regardless of position, with a 30th overall pick. Because at the end of the day, Xavier Howard still has a bunch of knee issues, and Nick Needham is one rep away from being in the starting lineup. And this is why depth is so important. And This is why we, when we talk about the Dolphins and what measures of progress you can measure for this roster and the talent on this roster, when the Dolphins start cutting guys because their team is too deep at certain positions, and those players are promptly getting claimed by other teams, that is a measure of progress. That's what we've seen the Dolphins start to see this offseason. You have started to see a number of the players that they cut get claimed on waivers. They didn't, you know, clear waivers and then hit the open market and negotiate and sign some, somewhere else. Teams wanted to prioritize them so much they said, we do not want to risk this guy hitting the open market. We're going to execute our priority in the waiver wire to lock this guy in. Talent. The Dolphins are shedding talented players. And they're shedding talented players in a completely different way and dynamic than what they did last year, right? Because you think about, well, they you know they traded Robert Quinn, they traded Ryan Tannehill, they let Cam Wake walk, they let Juwan James walk, and, and you're right. But of those guys, who's the only guy that got, like, a significant contract? Juwan James, who was promptly hurt and played... F- Four games this year? One of the pedestrian first-round picks the Dolphins have made. Not a bad pick. He was an above-average starting right tackle. But if you're going to pay him record-setting right tackle money versus letting him walk and getting somebody in the second round that you're going to pay what's going to be equivalent to $7 million to over the course of four years and Robert Hunt, provided Robert Hunt hits, and, of course, there's the question of, well, what if he doesn't hit, Kyle? And I get that. But like it's econo- there's economics involved with these decisions as well. But the Dolphins shedding this kind of talent and taking a player like Nick Needham, who was so good for you, towards the end of the year, and saying, we understand that you're good and you're promising, but this is a small sample size. And at the end of the day, our roster needs to be as strong as possible in areas X, Y, and Z. So that means, Nick, this is no disrespect to you, but this is what we perceive as the needs on our roster, and these are the the traits that we need at this position. Nick Needham now will have the opportunity to try and improve in year two as much from week one to week 17 as what he did last year. And if his starting point is where he ended last season, and he continues to improve, the Dolphins are going to be set at corner, even if Xavier Howard goes down, which is a good problem to have. That's what's next for Nick Needham. Strap it up and continue your own progress because at the end of the day, if you're that good, you're going to get on the field, and the Dolphins will play the numbers game, and if you're that good, the Dolphins are going to look at you and they're going to say, well, do we really need to pay Xavier Howard $16 million a year? With the durability issues with his knee, or they're going to say, well, maybe one of the no, maybe no Ig Bahogany needs to transition to free safety like they did with Bobby McCain. Like they'll find the ways to get the best players on the field. And the Dolphins drafting Ig Mahogany in the first and signing Byron Jones to a record-setting contract. That's not an, indi- an indictment of Nick Needham. That's just you know kind of when you're a rebuilding team. All bets are off. There's no such thing as box checked. And that's why entering this offseason, we looked at the wide receiver position, and we said, yeah, wide receiver position is probably one of the deeper positions on the Dolphins roster. And we get through free agency, and we get through the draft, and now now I dare you to look at the wide receiver group and say, yeah, that's one of the best position groups on the team, because it's not. You got Devontae Parker, Preston Williams, who is very much in the same boat as Nick Needham, very promising young talent, but not somebody you should put all your eggs in that basket to because what if he's not ready at the beginning of the season? Gary Jennings, Mac, Hollins, Isaiah Ford, Jakeem Grant, Albert Wilson. These are the names in the wide receiver room now. Albert Wilson's on a contract year. Couldn't find his explosiveness last year. These dynamics, when you're rebuilding and you have so much overturn, the dynamics of your roster change so significantly. And that's how a guy like Nick Needham, who did everything right, who completely bought into the process, completely bought into the coaching, can go from a guy who's looking like a potential starter to the fourth corner on the death chart. But that is a sign of progress. And now the challenge then turns over to Needham to say, okay, you know, you don't typically meet our criteria, but if you can play, you can play, you're going to play. So keep improving. Time to shift gears, turn things over, Locked On Raiders. A little bit of AFC West crossover action to close this Thursday episode of Locked On Dolphins. So I hope you guys enjoy. I'm sitting here and I'm looking at this roster that the Raiders have constructed. <laughs> and I'm really impressed. You know, There has very clearly become a John Gruden, Mike Mayock, type of football player. And you think about, you know, the, the early draft decisions that this team has made over the course of the past two seasons, specifically with Mike Mayock in the draft. Can you talk to Dolphins fans a little bit who might not necessarily be familiar with what some of these archetype and, and boxes that they like to check with early draft selections, what those are and what the identity identities football team is going to be entering year three with coach Gruden?
1: Yeah, you know, it's really, really interesting, and I think it all really started last year once Mike Mayock came aboard, and I think John Gruden had a vision, and, uh, you know, he had an idea of the football players that he wanted, but he's not the greatest as far as talent evaluating and, and grabbing guys that are going to be you know the the franchise and, and be the uh, foundation of the franchise that you could really build around I think that's why Mike Mayock the addition of him at the general manager position was so critical everyone knows that Gruden's going to be the guy who's going to check off at the, the last second say okay yes or no but Mike Mayock knows these guys he knows the the guys coming up in college and he knows the guys from talking to different coaches scouts being at practices or whatever. He knows the guys who are football players who love football and are guys, and then he knows guys that are just out there and they love what football can do for them. And I think way too many times you saw the Raiders in the past draft guys that were fast or, fa- or draft guys that were strong or guys that looked apart but not weren't necessarily real deal football players. Now Mike Mayock is there in the fold and he has a good eye for just guys who love football. Guys who have and come from winning programs. You know, if you see the the Raiders in the last two seasons have drafted five guys from Clemson. You know why? Because they're winners. They expect to win. He's drafted a running back from Alabama. You know why? Because he's a winner. He expects to win. I mean, guys that come from programs that are used to playing late in the season in games that matter. Games that, you know, going into the college football playoff. I mean, guys like that, that know their role and know that how critical they are. I mean, they went and got... Tanner Muse, who basically is going to be a glorified special teamer. They got him in the third round, late third round. They grabbed this guy. And a lot of people are talking about that pick is it's so such a bad pick. And why would you reach for a guy like that? Well, he comes from Clemson, so he he just has that pedigree. He knows what Dabo Sweeney wanted to, to be a winning unit. And, and that's what they're bringing in. They're, they're bringing in guys from winning units. So uh, the one thing I've noticed that, that Mike Mayock and John Gruden don't care about is what the national media says, OK, this is where you're supposed to draft this guy. This is where you're supposed to take this guy. Cleve Farrell wasn't supposed to be taken at number four, according to the national media. Damon Arnett this year was not supposed to be taken at number 19, according to the national media. But they identified their guys. They identified what they'll do well and how they'll fit on that team. And they were comfortable with taking them regardless of what, you know, uh, uh, Daniel Jeremiah says or or Mel Kuyper says or Todd McShay or any of these cats out here that are doing this talent evaluating. They don't care. They just fit to their scheme and they fit to what they want to do and they go get them. And it's funny because we're doing this crossover this week with the AFC East. And uh, I was able to talk Patriots yesterday and I and I pointed out that, you know, the Patriots very first pick that they had in 2020 was a second round pick. And it was a guy from a D2 school. Any other team in the league, the Dolphins do it. The Raiders do that. Everyone's dogging the mess out of that. That's the worst pick ever. But the Patriots do it. It's like, yeah, that's very Patriot-like. That makes a lot of sense. That's what the Raiders are trying to do. And I'm sure that's what the Dolphins are trying to do, too. Identify guys that fit with what they do, what they want to do, and know how they're going to fit with their team and their scheme, regardless of what the others on the outside say they're supposed to do.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, Q. I look at you know the Raiders' draft class and the Dolphins' draft class, and the parallels between uh, Damon Arnett going in the first round for the Raiders and the Dolphins surprising with drafting Noah Igbaagani in the first round, and that was perceived of a little bit of a reach, but it's their guy, a press man type corner. Uh, they have two outside guys playing inside. You mentioned Tanner Muse as a guy who's going to play primarily a lot of special teams and has some versatility. You know, there's the size of a linebacker. He's got the speed of a safety. The Dolphins surprised as well with the third round with the selection of Brandon Jones safety out of Texas, despite the fact that they have a bunch of depth in the secondary. They signed some guys at free agency. They drafted a guy in the first round. They still go out and get that guy. So marching to the beat of your own drum based on, the culture tone setters and that that's been the rave review on Miami's guys as well. And, you know, I mentioned the names amusing Arnett specifically Q cause I'm looking at this back seven for the Raiders defense. <laughs> and this has been a really impressive overhaul yeah. that we've seen the Raiders undertake as far as signing Nick Kwiatkowski and Corey Littleton, who's one of the best coverage linebackers in the NFL coming over from the LA Rams and Arnett and Trayvon, Trayvon Mullen, who was a second round pick last year and LaMarcus Joyner with some versatility. Can you talk a little bit about, because for Miami specifically, there's so much focus on sub packages and being multiple and getting multiple defensive backs on the field. Is that the same kind of vision that we're thinking here as far as with signing Demarius Randle in free agency to pair him with Abraham while also having Joyner in the picture and some of these other defenders that have come into the picture this year for the Raiders in the offseason?
1: Yeah, without a doubt. And that's what it's about. You know, they want to have guys that are versatile. They want to have guys that they can have play the corner position and then flip back to the safety if they need to. Even last year, they had Daryl Worley. He was a defensive back. He looked at some safety uh, looks. He had some safety looks and they just want guys that could play multiple roles, guys that if they need to move them over for whatever reason, they're not going to miss a beat. You know, LaMarcus Joyner is a very interesting guy. He's a guy who they brought over as a free agent in 2019 and they played him. 99.9% 99.9% of the time in the slot and he really didn't do very well, but his natural position is in is the safety position and now there's reports of them potentially putting him back at the safety unit for a while. I mean, not all the time, but being able to put him back there with Abram for a while, you know? And then uh, Amik Robertson, I think that's going to be a guy who's a sneaky good pick for the Raiders, the fourth-round pick out of La Tech. He's a guy who I believe is going to be the new slot guy at some point. I think midway through the season, he'll be the guy that takes over, similar to what Trayvon Mullen did for Garyon Conley last year. You know, they, they waited until he was ready to actually see the field all the time, in a regular starter basis, and then they were able to move on from Garyon Conley. I think Amik Robertson takes over that slot role really soon for uh for Lamarcus Joyner as soon as he's comfortable, you know. And and again, with all the versatility that they were able to bring in with the guys that you were naming, it doesn't rush these rookies onto the field. They can wait until these guys are ready, and then turn the reins over Demarius Randall He's there on a one-year deal you know they just picked up Prince of Makamura uh he's on gonna be on a one-year deal I mean these guys are veterans that know how to play the game they're not gonna cost you the game and they're not like oh no he's out there on the corner but at the same time when their time is up and uh, Arnett is ready or an Amik Robertson is ready or insert whatever name you want to, whenever that guy is ready, they'll be able to take the reins and it it makes your team go from being a veteran heavy team to a very young, but talented team. And, you know, I look at the Raiders and I look at the dolphins and I very, I I feel like the, the, you know, the, the foundation and the and the construction of the team is very, very similar where uh, something I said earlier was the culture, the culture had to be changed and it had to be changed in a major way. The Raiders had to, had to swallow a couple tough pills and, and trade away a lot of talent off the, off their team to be able to get the weapons and the uh, the the ammunition to go in and build the team in the vision that they were having, and that's what they're doing. And that to me is exactly what Miami is doing. And really, Miami might be a little bit ahead of their uh, their rebuild ahead of the the Raiders rebuild.
0: Well, it's interesting. You know, you mentioned parallels, and that's been one of the more fun things throughout the course of these two weeks of doing divisional crossovers trying to find the parallels between teams and their their life cycles and where they are in their life cycles. and definitely see some uh, some identity similarities between these two teams. And, and Miami's been another team that's uh, gone after you know culture setters for for guys who are experienced as winners. But you know, Q, I look at this offense, and this is where I see the the most prevalent mirroring. and the Denver Broncos were kind of in the same boat. I talked to Cody uh, yesterday on locked on Dolphins. Established offensive line. They invested in the offensive line. And, and mm-hmm. a, another great example of a, a guy who they selected not really caring what the national consensus was was left tackle Colton Miller, right? One of the big surprises yeah. of the first round in 2018 when he got drafted in Gruden's first year before Mike Mayock got there. They signed Trent Brown in free agency. Uh, they signed Richie Incognito. Gabe Jackson, Rodney Hudson were a little bit more established players. Uh, and then the following year, they go out and they get a bunch of skill players. Uh I guess this is a two-part question. Looking at the offensive line, they did draft John Simpson, a Clemson player in the fourth round, and there were some whispers of Gabe Jackson potentially being made available via trade. How close do you feel the Raiders were to moving on from that, and how excited is this Oakland offense to get so many new pass catchers in the building between free agent Nelson Aguilar, a couple of early draft selections, and Henry Ruggs and Brian Edwards?
1: I'll tell you right now, uh, I know Raider Nation is thrilled uh, by the potential of the of the offense uh, for the upcoming season. You know, you see Henry Ruggs III and you see all the speed that he has and all the versatility that he has. And a, a lot of people are talking about when John Gruden took over Tampa Bay and uh, he had Joey Galloway and Joey Galloway put up some huge numbers for him his first couple years with him. Uh, There's kind of saying that that's who Henry Ruggs III is going to be. So that's what a lot of folks are kind of looking at and envisioning when they see Henry Th- Ruggs III. But that's not where it ends you know I actually thought that they were going to get CD Lamb uh, at number 12 and they go and get Rugs and you know okay cool that means that you're going to open up the offense right because this dude's a burner so you got to use the off uh, the, the speed of him to take advantage of of other teams and so now I'm excited because you go in the third round, and not only do you double down, but you triple down. You go and get Lynn Bowden Jr., who's who's a guy who could do so many different things. He could be a running back. He could line up in the slot. He can, you know, be a wildcat quarterback. He could do all these different things. And then, oh by the way, let's go get Brian Edwards too, and have a yeah. big body that could be someone in the you know in the red zone and, and really be effective there. Be your big body wide receiver. Go up and get those 50-50 balls. And Will Muschamp is is college uh, coach at South Carolina said when you throw the fifty fifty ball to Brian Edwards. It's more like an 80 20 ball. It's not really, you know, a 50 50. And I mean, obviously it's going to be a lot more difficult in the NFL, but still, you know, he has that potential. So I really think you combine all the weapons that they have to throw the ball to now. And uh, you open up Josh Jacobs in, in the running game. Cause you know that the Raiders want to run the ball and they're going to want to run it heavy. Now he doesn't have the eight man box. You know, now he has a clean box. He can run, run in uh Darren Waller, who was a stud last season. He uh, you know, he, he doesn't see the double team anymore because now you have to respect the wide receivers. So, yeah, the potential is there. It all starts with the offensive line. You know, you win you win it in the trenches. You really do. Uh, Brian Flores, obviously, uh, in company by going and drafting three offensive linemen in the draft. They know that they got to win it in the trenches as well. So if you get the trenches right, yeah, the rest of the team can really come along. And so they really did that ahead of time, like you mentioned in the previous year, made sure that they uh, addressed it in the draft and free agency. A lot of people were mad because Trent Brown was the right tackle. You don't pay that kind of money to a guy. You do if you, you know, if you need to. <laughs> you know what I mean. You just do what you got to do. You get the guys to solidify the offensive line. They took care of that. Should give Derek Carr a clean pocket. Now he's got to go out there and make some really good decisions and make it happen. So yeah, the the potential is there. It's up to the Raiders' offensive uh, players and it's up to John Gruden to make sure that it happens.
0: Well, this is going to be a Week 16 matchup if the NFL ski- season continues. As expected, so here's hoping that we get some health throughout the course of the season for both of these teams so we can see a really great matchup in Las Vegas with both teams at full strength. Uh, Q, best of luck to you this summer, man. Hope you stay safe. That is going to do it for us here today on Locked on Dolphins. Hope you guys enjoyed. Brought to you by Built Bar. Make sure promo code LOCKED on gets you $10 off that first order. I am Kyle Krabs. We will be back again tomorrow to wrap up the week. So hit subscribe, keep it locked in right here on Lockdown Dolphins, and I hope to see each and every one of you again tomorrow.